We've almost made it through the summer. <laughs> but like just about everything in 2020, that doesn't mean what it used to. Mom, don't play with me. One of the most stressful decisions facing parents right now is what to do about school. Should we do e-learning? Would that be safer? Should we send them in the classroom? Is that better for their social and emotional health? Trying to weigh all of these options of physical health, social health, emotional health, it can just wear on you. I'm hiring somebody, I'm putting up my white flag, and I need help. Quite frankly, I'm terrified. Now it's going to require so much of our time as well to ensure and make sure that these uh, assignments are done and understood and the homework is done and turned in on time. And, and it's just, I'm not a teacher. I'm not a teacher. So we do come back and forth and, and you know, it's obviously about what works best for us as a family, but more so we're starting to think about what works best for the school, for the other students and in for the classroom as a whole. I would be really upset if we had to go another month of, of that, staying at home. This week on the DFW Child Podcast, we are diving in. I talked with several parents in the middle of what can seem like an impossible decision. Teachers, school districts, a homeschool group, and a PhD who researches learning environments trying to get as clear a picture as possible. When, if, however schools open this year, what will it look like so we can try and fully understand the options? We hope at the end you feel like you know more to help you make the decision that is best for your family. Welcome to the DFW Child Podcast, a place for local parents to tell their stories, share mom truths, and dig deeper into real issues all while celebrating this crazy, challenging, beautiful journey called parenthood. Let's welcome our host, Brittany McElroy. When schools shut down in March, Ashley Sanderson and her family were headed home from their spring break vacation. It was so surreal and we're sitting there and they're like, okay, Reagan's not going back to school. We're going to have an extra week of spring break. And honestly, I didn't think it was going to last very long. Um, And so I really wasn't too worried about it. Even as she realized this would last longer than she anticipated, she felt like she was in a pretty good place. She's already a stay-at-home mom and before that taught first grade. And she knows she was a really good teacher. Then the reality of teaching her own daughter kindergarten with two younger brothers at home set in. I'm trying to sit down with her and teach her, and my two-year-old is rubbing Vicks VapoRub all over his face. So it has been, the roughest has been trying to teach her to the best of my ability, which I know is better than what I've been giving her. And then I get frustrated, she gets frustrated. By the end of the school year, she says she knows her daughter Reagan was a little behind in reading. A lot of families are experiencing what's called a learning slide because of the disruptions of the pandemic. When we talked earlier in the summer, Ashley felt pretty confident they needed to send Reagan back to school if possible. It's hard to learn when your house often sounds like this. But now that it's almost August and the virus is still spreading, she's not so sure talking about kids needing to wearing masks and they need to be six feet apart. I mean, these kids are five and six years old and 
I don't know if I want to put my daughter through that. Uh, I, but then at the same time, is keeping her home beneficial when I have a newborn and two boys to where I, I really can't teach her the way that she needs to be taught. They plan to start the school year with virtual learning, but this time they'll hire a nanny to come help with the younger kids. An even bigger task this school year, because in addition to Reagan's two younger brothers, they added a new baby girl to the mix this month. <laughs> so she is so little. Landon, you want to come see her? While Ashley's family is certainly struggling with the decision, they realize they're also privileged to feel like they have options. For different reasons, not everyone does, including parents who still have jobs outside the home like the same teachers working so hard to figure this out for our kids. I am somewhat relieved that it looks as if we are pushing back the start date. I'm concerned that I read if we have a virtual start, teachers will still report to campus and while my toddler will have a place at a nursery school, I would have no choice but to bring my daughter with me to school and have her do her schoolwork in my classroom. In the event of a blended start, she will have to go to school. We will make whatever hand we are dealt work and hope for the best. But honestly, I wish that I had the liberty to homeschool her this year because the unknown right now is extremely terrifying to me. While that teacher feels a virtual start would be the best case scenario for her family, a lot of parents do not feel that way. I was immediately pissed off. Stephanie Stovall chose the face-to-face -face option when asked by her district, Louisville ISD, but less than a week later got an email that all students would start online because of a recommendation from the county health department. They've had since mid-March to figure out what they were going to do before the school year started in August and whatever date they want to push it out to. So they've had plenty of time to put whatever safeguards they needed to put in place. Um, and I just, I think that they failed us. I think they really did. They failed us. And now the um, burden is pushed back on the parents. Stephanie is a single parent who works primarily outside of the home. It's a huge challenge. I mean, her dad will help me. I mean, she's got a great father, but he is not just right down the street. So it's not like I can have him just come over and, and help light the fire and, and get her going in the direction that she needs to go in in order to get the schoolwork done. Her daughter is old enough. She should be fine home alone, but that doesn't guarantee her work will get done. I'm sorry, by the time I get home from work and get dinner done and do what needs to be done around the house, I'm spent. I have no energy left to fight her to sit down and do homework. And Stephanie knows there are lots of other families out there with single parents or both parents who still have to leave the home to go to work. What are the single parents going to do for these small children? I mean, you're going to have to send them to daycare or send them to somewhere throughout the day. But how are you going to, you know, verify and, and ensure that they're going to be able to sign in and get their schoolwork done. This is, it's crazy. The whole thing's crazy. For now, all she can do is wait and see when her district will allow face-to-face -face classes. With some Texas districts already announcing a virtual start and others still planning in person, one thing that is the same for most districts is they plan to eventually give parents a choice between in-person and virtual learning this school year. 
I had a long conversation with Dallas ISD Assistant Superintendent Leslie Stevens, and she knows parents and teachers are frustrated right now. She and other administrators are too. They're trying to take the guidelines from the CDC, the Texas Education Agency, the governor's office, the county. And that's a lot to consider, especially when those guidelines and rules keep shifting and changing. Oh, my God. Not again. Like not one more change. But and, and not that the change is good or bad. It's just one more change. Like, I honestly thought like we'd have something ready but now, literally, I just got off a phone call and it's like, oh no, now that's delayed because of another change. And then, I mean, so it's getting a tad bit frustrating because at some point you really want to get the information out there because people want to know. They've been thinking through space, masks, transportation, extracurriculars, and more for months and still don't have all the answers. We want to note that each district will have slightly different plans. For example, Dallas ISD plans to use face shields in the classroom. While I know my own kids' school sent a video saying it's requiring masks instead. So make sure you check with your own district, school, and classroom teacher. But Dallas is working through a lot of the same issues as districts everywhere. So I asked Stevens to walk me through what she thinks face-to-face -face school will look like this year. There's always those first day of school videos that they show on TV. Okay, those will look very different this year in the fact that we are going to require all the kids to wear masks to and from school. And when they get in the classroom, we're allowing them to switch to face shields just because they're easier for the kids in terms of facial expressions, being able to hear people, all of that. So entry, um, just in terms of how open the buildings are will be very different. So all of those processes will look very different than the start of previous school years. So it used to be, and I'm gonna just take a pre-K kindergarten classroom. It used to be that like those parents generally will walk in the building with them, take them to their, their classroom and, and stay in there for a while. And that's not gonna be the case. Some of the time, they do plan to let kids eat in the cafeteria for socialization, but there will be plastic dividers at the tables. Middle schoolers and high schoolers will still change classes, but group work, even for those in face-to-face -face learning, will happen most often in online groups distanced from each other. One of the most difficult pieces to figure out, extracurriculars. They want to offer them, but these are also hard to do safely. Just know they're working on it, but they don't have all the answers yet. We have those students who go because they love going to debates and debating. They love, you know, putting on that basketball uniform and playing basketball. Like there are certain extracurricular activities that, that are their passion. Um, and so trying to figure out, because they're all in person kind of things. So trying to figure those out and follow the UIL guidelines or following the guidelines from TEA and then on top of that, trying to follow the guidelines from the county, that, that's just taking us a little bit of a struggle in terms of making sure that, that kids have the experiences that, that they deserve to say, my high school experience was a great experience. For the younger kids, they do still plan to have 30 minutes of recess, but unless they can stay six feet apart, 
the kids will have to wear a mask or face shield. If you plan to send your kids for face-to-face -face learning, the district asks parents to help prepare them. Make sure they know how to put their masks on by themselves, reinforce the importance of hand washing, and work to create an understanding of how far six feet is. The district also plans to spray weekly with an electrostatic disinfectant spray that makes it less likely any germs will stick to it for up to 90 days. Basically, the guidelines to our teachers is to put out anything, anything and everything in your room that you want sprayed. And what this does is when you touch it, germs don't transfer from person to person. So in that kind of case, if you've got a preschool classroom that they lay out all their stuff and it gets sprayed, then you're not going to have to worry. While teachers will try to keep students socially distanced, Stephen says there will be times when that just isn't possible. How you feel about that will vary from person to person, but that is the reality. It's not the face shield, the plexiglass, and six feet. So, so I just think there's a lot of that that is, that is going to have to be managed. But you also don't want to take away the educational experience or what they learn by doing those activities. You know, like building the tower or having two kids building a tower there's probably more value in learning how to cooperate, cooperate and teamwork than the actual tower that's constructed. Yeah. So they will yeah. still, as long as they're wearing face shields or face masks, they will be interacting in that way. Like in those kind of situations, especially when you're talking about the little kids, we are social beings. And like, you don't want a teacher all day long you know, carrying around a measuring stick to make sure you're six feet apart all the time. And so we're trying to make sure that like we've done the disinfectant, we do the frequent hand sanitizing, we're wearing the face mask. Like at some point we have to be able to teach the students like the human skills, the social skills, as well as the academic skills. And, and do the best we can in terms of making sure that we maintain safety. As Dallas ISD is preparing, up in Denton, some students are already back in the classroom. The district has a two-week program called Jumpstart. The program is meant for elementary students who need a little extra support before the school year starts, but it's also giving schools a chance to see how a socially distanced classroom works with a limited number of kids before the scheduled first day of school next month. Sarah Sheffield knew her middle child in particular had really struggled with virtual learning. It was a really big fight to try to get her to concentrate on her work. And um, I, I have a two-year-old as well. And the two-year-old is what made it so, so difficult um, because he would be running circles, he'd be watching TV, he'd be playing with toys and it would be really loud. So he made it very difficult for her to concentrate um, on anything. So I really wanted her to be back in the classroom. I mean, there were times where Elise did cry because we were just so frustrated with her not being able to focus on her work. She was a little nervous, but is so glad she signed her kids up for the Jumpstart program for two reasons. First, it has given her a chance to see the safety precautions, which made her feel a little better about the fall semester. A few people were standing at the front waiting to get in and the principal did come out and was like, oh, let's, you know, give each other some space. And she made sure that we were far farther, farther apart. 
Um, I watched everybody sanitize their hands before they walked in. I kept my hands in my pockets and just made sure I didn't touch anything. And um, everybody was wearing masks. All the kids were wearing masks. Just as big a factor to her, the smiles on her kids' faces when she picked them up after the first day. As soon as they walked in the door, I didn't even have to ask anything. And they were smiling, um, you know, just, just happy. They just looked happy. She has enthusiastically picked the in-person option for her kids to start the school year. Now she hopes that option doesn't go away between now and then, since some nearby districts have already announced an all-virtual start. So I would be really upset if that's what we had to do again, because um, I am not a trained teacher. I have done my best, but I don't have the confidence in myself to teach my children in a way that I feel like they will absor- absorb um, beyond like ABCs. The uncertainty that even if you pick the face-to-face option, your school might have to shut its doors and go back to online learning at any time is one of the reasons Flower Mound mom Jillian Harvey chose the virtual option for her son. The decision about having him come and stay home is really challenging for us. He is a child with an IEP. He is in a behavior intervention classroom at school, so needs some specific supports. Um, is in gifted and talented. So, you know, he has a lot of moving pieces in his kind of um, space. But for us, I was more concerned about what it was going to look like with sending him to school. And then what if five days later school closes and then he's home and it's just uh, for kids that don't do well with transition. I mean, even kids that do, that's going to be a hard back and forth and uprooting. And I figured if I could commit to being here with him and at least making that a safe space, I would be okay. You know, we we would figure, the other pieces will figure themselves out. Once she made the decision, she noticed lots of other parents posting online, looking for ideas, childcare help, support. And she thought she could maybe put her career background in event planning to use to help some of the parents in her area. After all, She spent 20 years helping people and companies organize and network. What we're going to do and and who's doing what and who could pair up with who. We wanted to be an information hub. So she and another mom set up a Facebook group for parents in their town choosing the virtual option. And in less than a week, there were more than 600 members. And then we also just wanted to be like a safe space for people to figure out and troubleshoot what's happening and how it's happening to them and and kind of dealing with that. So while lots of groups centered around virtual learning are popping up online, Jillian is trying to take the mission beyond the screen by creating a survey members can take letting her know what their needs are. Do you need somebody to come to your house? Would you would you go to someone else's house? What level of comfortability are you going to have with who you pair up with? Are you you know, have you guys been on lockdown since March? Do you guys go to other people's houses? Kind of like how that's going to look. Then she and the group's other founder plan to play matchmaker with the families in their community. Do you need full-time learning support, play dates, even help getting accommodations for students with special needs or individualized education programs during virtual learning? Let her know, and if there's someone nearby who can offer it, she'll put you in touch. Especially people that need to hire someone to come into their home. 
um, like for myself, because I have a third grade boy and he's an only child, I'm going to offer to let somebody come to us, um, whether that's five days a week or three days a week. It's a huge undertaking, but she says she believes we need to do all we can to help each other out now more than ever. We're really happy that we have a lot of people that are interested and, and the more the merrier. And, you know, I already said to Aaron today, I said, uh, if the school district decides to have everybody go virtual, this might turn into a bigger undertaking than what we had originally planned. Yeah. Jillian did want to stress her group is only for parents in Flower Mound and Highland Village. But parents all over are forming small groups or pods that can do virtual learning together. It's a way to still have some socialization for kids while limiting their exposure to just a few other families. It's also a way for working parents to share some of the burden of helping their kids with lessons. Dr. Chris Long, a professor of education at the University of North Texas, studies learning environments. Full disclosure, I also work at the University of North Texas. I teach journalism there, but I don't have any connection to the College of Education. My background is in learning environments research, where we look at the psychosocial learning environments, not the physical space learning environment, but how do the kids feel, how's their psychological outlook on, on what they're learning. While he can't speak to the public health aspect, he says from an educational perspective, these small groups could be a really good idea. Minimizing risk of contracting COVID while addressing one of the biggest challenges students faced in the spring. So that's the biggest takeaway from this is they felt like they were no longer part of a class. What that says is it's the student engagement factor that's lacking. And what's going to make students more successful is being better engaged. And there, there's some research that's come out that talks about a triangle of, of engagement. So you've got the, the teachers designing engaged activities, the parents supporting the engaged activities, and then the peer engagement, how, how the students engage with their peers. He and other educators I talked to believe engagement and online delivery of materials can and will be better than it was in the spring now that districts have had some time to adjust. In his research, Long found the other major factor besides engagement that suffered during online learning due to COVID is what researchers call task orientation. Which is a fancy way of saying, does the student know what's expected of them? He suggests parents who choose online learning help their kids of all ages develop checklists of what's due and listen in on Zoom meetings when they can to help their students who might struggle with this. Leslie Stevens, the Dallas assistant superintendent we heard from earlier, agrees online learning will be better in the fall than it was in the spring, particularly at the elementary level. Not only have districts had more time to make sure all students have adequate technology and internet access, but they've also given teachers more training on online learning. It could be that they insert a video, they have kids read something, all of those kind of things. So the lessons will be online. And then there will be moments in time where they do have interactions directly with the teacher, whether that's in a small group setting, in a larger group setting, or those kind of things. So that is very different than what we did from March through August um, with our elementary, because we're still producing the at-home plans. But that was more of parents do these things with your students. This is truly going to be more directly controlled by the classroom teacher. 
One particularly difficult challenge for districts is supporting parents with kids in the special education program during virtual learning. For children who are typically part of the regular classroom but receive some one-on-one or small group services, they've worked through some ways to still do that virtually. But for those kids who depend on physical, occupational, and behavioral therapies, that's a lot harder to replicate on a screen. Having some of those where the teacher was online and showing parents what to physically do in terms of like, you know, arm movements or those kind of things. So we are working on that, but I don't have a definitive clean answer. Both Rob D'Amico, spokesperson for the Texas chapter of the American Federation of Teachers, and Ovidia Molina, president of the Texas State Teachers Association, are advocating for an online start to schools in Texas. People tend to think of teachers as being younger, but the, the, I think the biggest you know, third of the equation for teachers is that most of them have 20 or more years of experience. So there are some older teachers. There's a lot that have, just like all of us in life, health concerns, asthma. You know, they've had cancer and have been treated for cancer. Um, you know, so they feel that that's putting them in a, a situation where they're going to be in close proximity to large numbers of students and their peers as adults on a daily basis. So they're trying to weigh their love of the profession and really wanting to get back and getting in front of kids because they don't like remote instruction as much either. They're trying to weigh that against, am I making a life or death decision here? If we have somebody that tests positive and they return home and their family gets sick, then you know we're talking about possible death for some people. And that's, that's the thing that we are just adamant about. Um, having virtual learning at the time because we don't want anybody getting sick and not dying at all. Both groups would like to see the number of cases, hospitalizations, and deaths due to COVID go down significantly across the state before they feel comfortable with their members returning to the classroom. At the same time, they realize their position is hard on many parents, particularly those of lower socioeconomic status, those with jobs they cannot do from home, and parents of kids with special needs. Molina understands when given the option of in-person or virtual learning, some families really don't have a good option if they can't send their kids to school. So what she asks is that those who do feel like they have a choice, even if it's a difficult choice, do virtual learning. Keeping kids at home is the safest thing to do right now. And for those that can't do that, then, uh, yeah, having less kids in school is going to help alleviate some of the issues. Schools have a vested interest in getting students from their district who will not attend in person to sign up for virtual learning. A large portion of the state's public school funding formula depends on attendance. And if you're concerned with funding for your local public schools, it's something to consider. But for those who really struggled with virtual learning last school year, homeschool advocates say there are other ways to educate your kids from your house. Prior to COVID-19, Jube Dankworth, the CEO of Texas Home Educators, used to get requests for homeschooling information from her group from about 10 people each month. Now it's more like 10 people a day. I had one mom tell me that she was getting emails from 24 teachers, three principals, and two superintendents every week. And plus trying to work, plus 
trying to educate you know her four children and it was like oh my gosh she recognizes homeschooling can seem daunting at first but she thinks it gives parents more control both over their family's schedule and what their kids are learning if you need to get up early to do your work or if you need to um, let your children sleep in let them sleep in if they get their work uh, now i don't know if the teachers are doing you know eight to three or what they're doing if they are then you have no choice so your choices are limited because you have to do it within the framework of the public school and what they're asking of you another potential advantage you could spend less time schooling each day don't think that you have to sit there for eight hours a day uh, when you're homeschooling it's a lot quicker because it is a one-on-one -on -one tutorial you're not teaching 30 children in a room unless you have 30 children which not many people do if you think you're ready to take the plunge into homeschooling, there are several different approaches. Often, people start with a textbook or online guide because it's similar to the approach they've seen in brick-and-mortar schools. But there are other philosophies you may want to consider. One option is unit studies. If your child decides that they want to know more about horses, okay, we're going to do a whole unit study on horses. So you go visit some horses, you uh, do some videos on horses, you read some books at the child's level on horses, you do some vocabulary on the horses, you learn how to measure a horse for math, you know, so that, so you just study horses and see if, if the child if it lights their fire or not. Then you, if it does, you get them lessons and then next thing you know, they're, you know, barrel racing or something. Or if you have a kid who loves to read, you might look into the Charlotte Mason approach, a literature heavy style. That is um, where you, you're reading to the child or you're talking with the child. The child learns to do their thoughts. They narrate to you first. And as they get their thoughts, then when they're ready to do their writing, they have, they have the thought process down. There are several other styles, and you can mix and match. The one homeschooling resource Dankworth recommends more than any other is a program called Kathy Duffy Reviews. She has a little ebook, and it's 70 pages. That is like a whole year's worth of information on homeschooling. The methods, she has a nice little... Uh, questionnaire to find out different things about the child, different things about the mom, to find out what your teaching style is and what their learning style is. And then from there, she suggests different curriculum. Whether homeschooling or doing a virtual program through your district, if your kids will be learning at home, she has a few suggestions. First, set up a designated learning space for them. Also, Plug into local libraries, parks, museums, state and local agencies, anything that could enrich their experience. A lot of these have online events and tours. And finally, even if this was not what you expected or planned for, try to enjoy it. It's a great adventure. Whether homeschooling, virtual learning, or going back to the classroom, the general consensus of everyone I interviewed is talking to your kids to prepare them for what to expect is important as is doing everything you can to stop the spread of COVID-19. Wear the masks. I mean, anything we can do to reduce the numbers in the county, especially by the time that, that we want kids to show up face-to-face, -face, I think put it in perspective of is the more we do now, the better off we're gonna be probably in October when we're asking 
you know, if parents want to send their students back face to face. And if the numbers are lower, then parents will be able to send more of their or feel better about sending more of their students face to face. And and our ultimate goal and our and our main goal is to educate students. And whether it's virtually or face to face, if we can lower the numbers then we'll get back to what we're going to call our new normal. And be kind. Everyone is making tough decisions right now, even if they don't make the same decisions as you. They're going to be trying stuff. Nobody, nobody's written a book on how to do this because we've never had to do it before. Um, so the teachers are going to be trying stuff. And, you know, as parents, let's try to support them and encourage the teachers that are, you know, stepping up to do this. It's reminding myself every day that I'm not the only one who is struggling. We are all having a hard time. We go back and forth and we would love to have them start assuming, you know, it's uh, safe to do so and that the classroom sizes are manageable and all that stuff. But obviously they'll be in three different classrooms with three different sets of students and families. And as we all know, it's uh, still a evolving situation with lots of new cases popping up every day. This is our challenge. God willing, this is one of the biggest ones that we will face as parents. And how we handle it is very important. Our children are watching. And so I hope that we will all just extend grace to each other throughout this. Grace to the school districts. Grace to our fellow parents who make choices that are different from ours. And just keep things in perspective. I know I'm, I'm trying to do that because it's hard, but we will get through this. Thank you so much to all of the parents and educators who took the time to talk with us and work through some of these incredibly complicated issues. There are more articles about getting your kids ready for the school year on dfwchild.com. Next week on the podcast, COVID-19 has magnified childcare issues that disproportionately affect working moms. We are talking with different groups who work to better equality about what the problems are, some things that could help fix them, and some silver linings of COVID-19. If you have any big questions you want answered or a unique story about your experience parenting during the pandemic, we want to hear from you. You can email us at podcast at dfwchild.com. And please rate and review us on iTunes. That is how people find our show. Have a great week. Be sure to follow DFW Child on Facebook and Instagram so we can continue the conversation and check out the helpful parenting resources on dfwchild.com. Until next time.